Praise God. If you have your Bible, let's turn today to Romans. Romans chapter 5. We'll be looking just at the first two verses of Romans 5 today. If you don't have a Bible, then please get one of the black Bibles that's on the end of each pew. If you don't have a Bible at all, then please just take that one. It's our gift to you. And we're looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 today. And just read that for us as we get back into the book of Romans. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hmm. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. For us who trust in Christ, that is very comforting. It's comforting, though, only if God is not going to destroy you in hell. But for us who know him, we have peace with God. For us who have come to faith in Christ, we know that the worst thing that can happen to us is the best thing that can happen to us. The Bible also says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, Who can be against us? So, so comforting for those of us who know that God is for us, that God has shown that he is for us in sending his own son to die for us while we were still sinners. But what if God is not for you? It's not all that comforting if you could say, God is for us, who can be against us? If you would say, is God for me? For those who have not yet entrusted your souls into the hands of Christ, you need to be at peace with God. And for those who are trusting yourself into the hands of Christ today, I have very good news. You are at peace with God. We have here a statement that's one of the greatest statements of assurance of salvation in all of Scripture. And it is a statement that's the beginning of an entire section of the book of Romans that has to do with assurance of salvation. And so I want to just, as we're getting back here to the book of Romans, talk about where we are and what's happening here in this text. I I hope that those of you who have been around for the last year or so have, have been reading the book of Romans, not just listening to a little piece of it here and there as I preach it, But seeing the whole flow of the book, you can sit down and read it in, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, something like that. You can read all the way through Romans. But there's a flow to it. And it was meant to be sat down and read all at once or to be read aloud in a sitting to the whole church. And as we get here, we're coming today to a new section in the book of Romans, there, the, the opening section had to do with what we call justification by faith. Being justified right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And now we're coming to a section that has to do with assurance of God's grace for those who are justified. So just to, to remind us where we are, you probably don't remember the outline of the very first sermon that I preached on the book of Romans because it's been a while and I didn't remember it. So I had to go back and look at it and say, what, how did I say this book is laid out? Well, here's what we have. In the very beginning of Romans, you have your Bibles open, right? Yeah, I, I remind you, get one of the black Bibles on the end of the pew if you don't have it. Have your Bible open. If you look at the very beginning of the book of Romans, it starts out with an introduction. That introduction goes through verse 17 of chapter 1. And in those last couple of verses of that introduction, he lays out, here's the theme of the whole book. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he goes on, and in these first four chapters, he describes, first of all, why it is that everyone needs to be justified that there is no such thing as a person who stands in themselves right with God, whether Jew or Gentile, whether somebody who is 
out on an island and has never come into contact with the name of Jesus or the Bible at all, that person is still guilty of his sins and is lost apart from coming to faith in Jesus. Or the person who has grown up hearing the Bible every day and, and knows the law of God and seeks to, do, uh, a, to live a moral life in some way, well, that person is still lost in his sins and needs the grace of God in Jesus Christ must be born again. So whether Jew or Gentile, whether you have heard a lot or heard a little or nothing at all, you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ because every single one of us was born in sin as sinners who in in ourselves we don't just sort of drift toward God and godliness and love toward God. No, in fact, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So we need Jesus. But then he laid out, here's the good news. Starting in chapter 3, verse 20, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the good news. And he's laid that out from chapter 3, verse 20, all the way to the end of chapter 4, verse 25. He says, here is how sinners can be saved. It is not by works. It is not by the law. The law is good, and it shows us that we are bad. The law can't save you, but here's what saves you. The person of Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, who died for our sins, And if we have faith in Jesus Christ, if our hearts are turned to him in faith, we have peace with God. That's where we're coming today. It says, therefore, this is the verse we're in, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is what we need. And this is beginning an entire section that's going to talk about that peace with God, how it plays out. Chapter 5 is about who we are now in Christ, that we have come to a place where we have peace with God, that we once were enemies of God, and now we've been reconciled. Now we are on God's side and children of God. We are with him. He is for us, not against us. We once, it says in the second half of chapter 5, we were in Adam. We were born united to Adam in sin and death. But now... For those who have been born again, who have come to faith in Jesus, we are no longer united to Adam. We are now united to Christ. You're not in Adam anymore. You're now in Christ, believer. That plays out in chapter 6 by saying, now that we're in Christ and now that we're no longer under law but we're under grace, we want to live a life of joyful, grateful obedience to God. Freedom in Christ in obedience. Where we once were slaves to sin, now we are slaves to righteousness. We no longer are in bondage to decay and death and sin. We can now live in obedience to Christ in freedom. Chapter 7 just lays out this law, uh, or or our relationship to the law, that the law is good. We can't be saved by the law, and the law shows us, even as Christians, that we break it. But how are we going to have reconciliation? Well, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in chapter 8. And he talks about that newness of life in the Spirit and and comes all the way to that high point where in, in 831, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And where he comes at the end of chapter 8 to say, I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we are. That's where we're going. Just to say this, he has laid out a full presentation of you are a sinner, you need to be saved, and God saves completely by faith alone or I should say by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Justification by faith. And for those who have been justified by faith, now have assurance of your salvation as you walk after Christ. So here's the good news. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Now, 
Why would we need peace with God? This is one of the first things that we need to see here, that we needed to have peace with God. Why did we need to have peace with God? Well, because we did not have peace with God naturally. This is something that has to be said. He's going to go on and he's going to explain this a little bit more as chapter 5 goes on. He's going to talk about the fact that we were once enemies of God in our sin, that we needed to be reconciled to God. He's laid this out very clearly, as I already said, in chapter 1, the second half of chapter 1 through the first half of chapter 3, that all of us stand condemned before God until he makes us his in Christ. But you need to know that just because you feel like you're okay does not necessarily mean that you're okay. If your faith is not in Christ, it's possible that you can use various kinds of psychological tricks and self-help books and steps to a better life. It's possible that you can use all kinds of things like that to feel at peace when in fact you stand as an enemy of God. There's a difference between how you feel and what reality is. There's a difference between the subjective and the objective. I I just read a quote from Abraham Lincoln this week. I hope it really is from Abraham Lincoln. You never know, right? But he he said to a group of people, "How, how many legs does a dog have if you count the tail as a leg? And the whole room said, five. Well, he said, no, it's four. Because whether you count the tail as a leg or not, it's not. We need to know, yeah, you can look at things a certain way. You can count things a certain way. You can feel a certain way about things. But then there's the objective reality. So it is possible that you who may, I, I'm speaking today at this point right now, I'm speaking to those whose, whose faith is not in Christ. It's possible that you've made yourself feel at peace to some degree. And yet, before you come to faith in Jesus, you are not at peace with God. You would stand as an enemy of God. Now, some would say, but God, God is a loving Father who forgives sins. How could that be? Well, yes, he is a loving Father who forgives sins, but God is not under obligation to, to adopt every sinner as his child. And he doesn't. And in fact, it says this in Matthew 7. Jesus said, The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Do you hear that? God doesn't just automatically give everyone forgiveness and adoption as his child. It says it's many who go to destruction. It says in Philippians 3, many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That's the mindset of those whose faith is not in Christ. Earthly things. Even religious people whose faith is not in Christ. It's still for earthly purposes. How can I have a better life? How can we improve society? How can we do this and this and this that's earthly? Not that those things are valueless, but it says here, if our minds are set on earthly things, that's a mark of being an enemy of God. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We need to be at peace with God because we naturally are not. In our nature... In our sinful nature that we were born into, in our union with Adam, in our being only human, nobody's perfect, all those things that we already know, it's not a small thing. It's a big deal. We have transgressed the eternal perfect law of the eternal holy God, and the wages of sin is death. We have walked as enemies of our Creator. We need peace with God. But God grants that peace. How does he grant it? What's the basis of it? Well, it's in verse 1, having been justified by faith. This is how peace of God comes, by being justified by faith. As I mentioned, he's already expounded upon what that means in extreme detail. 
starting especially in Romans 3, verse 21, going all the way to the end of chapter 4. He has expounded it. But here is the heart of it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, this is 3.23, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It says, Jesus came and died to pay the penalty for sin in the place of actual sinners. And that is received not by doing something good for God, not by some payment that we could make to God, not by something that we could do to make it up to God for what we did. It's received by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It's put like this in Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. But because by, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What does it mean to be justified? Well, it is a work of God's free grace where he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, not because of our righteousness, but only because of the righteousness of Christ that he would count as being ours, that we would receive by faith alone. What is faith? We need to be justified. We need to be counted right in God's sight. It's going to come by faith. What is faith? Some of you are saying, oh, he's going to define faith again. Yes, I am. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Faith is where we receive Jesus as our Savior, where we rest upon him. I just quoted the Baptist Catechism, and I'm, I'm just going to say it's like this. It's not just knowing the truth about the fact that Jesus is both God and man who lived the perfect life, died on the cross for sinners, rose from the dead, is Lord. You can know those things and reject those things. It's not even just accepting those facts. It's possible to affirm the facts, to believe in terms of saying, yes, I hereby acknowledge and sincerely am convinced that those facts about Jesus are true. If, that, if you stop there, that's the kind of believing that it says that the demons do. Even the demons believe and tremble. That might even be the kind of believing that the, the, the council of, of, uh, of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin did when they heard that Jesus was raised from the dead and they knew it to be true, but instead of turning themselves over to him in faith, what did they do? They paid the guards to lie about it. So it's not just knowing it, and it's not even just acknowledging that it's true. It's this. Here's what faith is. It is entrusting yourself personally into the hands of Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It's saying, I don't just know that this is true about Jesus, but I hereby trust in him. Not in myself, not in my goodness, not in what I could present to God, but in the person of Jesus Christ. I entrust my soul for all eternity into his hands as the one who died for me, rose from the dead, and is my living Savior and Lord. That's what faith is. It's when you entrust your soul to Christ. Not mere knowledge, not mere agreement, but trust. And it says this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified, that means forgiven of sins, counted as righteous in his sight, been justified by faith, here's what we have. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believer, underline that. Memorize that. Know that. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a good thing. The possession of peace, if you're following along on the outline on the back of your bulletin, the possession of peace. 
Now, I have to mention here, there's a footnote in the ESV where it says, we have peace with God. The footnote says, some manuscripts say, let us, where, where there would be some Greek manuscripts that would say, instead of we have peace with God, would say, let us have peace with God, or we may have peace with God. That's just one of those things that ought not to bother you too much that some manuscripts say that, because we know with pretty good certainty that this was originally, we have peace with God. That's the whole argument that's already been made throughout Romans. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you are at peace with God. You are justified by faith alone. It's not you trust and then you do extra things to get at peace with God. No, it is you are on his side by faith in the finished, accomplished works of Jesus. And you'd say, well, why are there some Greek manuscripts that say we may have peace or let us have peace? Well, it's because when you say it aloud in Greek, it sounds almost identical. It's the difference between an omega and an omicron, which both sound like, oh, that's why, all right? But here's what it actually says. We have peace with God. Believer, cling to this. Know this. Rejoice in this. We have peace with God. Now, peace in the Bible, it's spoken of in several ways. There's, there's one that's sort of the, the general peace. This is the, the Hebrew word that everybody knows, shalom, peace. And, and that shalom in the Old Testament is, is, is sort of a general well-being. It, it's a being at peace from attacks from enemies. It, it is a uh, well-being in your home, things being in order, having provision that you need for yourself, things being as they ought to be, that shalom. That's one way that the Bible speaks of peace, but that's not the way the Bible is speaking of peace here. There's another way that the Bible speaks of peace, which is peace with other people. We need peace with other people. We, we even prayed from a passage in uh, James that had to do a lot with being at peace with one another as believers. The, the book of Ephesians tells us that one of the reasons that Jesus shed his blood was to tear down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, to make all believers in Christ to be at peace with one another. That is a kind of peace that's spoken of in the Bible, but that's not the peace that it's talking about here. There's another kind of peace in the Bible that you could call peace of mind. That, that peace of mind would involve things like being free from anxiety and even having peace of conscience. You know, when you sin, it makes your conscience uneasy, Christian. If it doesn't make your conscience uneasy, that's a problem, <laughs> And you, you need to repent. You need to go to God. You need to draw near to God. You need to have your conscience feel clear. That is a good thing to have peace of conscience. It's a good thing to cast all your anxieties on him and, and to know that he is the one who, who can give that peace that passes understanding, right? As it's spoken of in Philippians 4. So that peace of mind, that is a kind of peace that the Bible speaks of. That's one way the Bible speaks about peace, but that's not the peace that it's talking about here. It's not talking about general shalom peace. It's not talking about peace with other people. It's not talking about peace of mind. It's talking about peace with God. Do you hear this? Peace with God. A right relationship between you and God. Now again, you can have different feelings about this regardless of what the truth is. You can feel like you're at peace with God and not have your faith in Christ and it's not true. But believer, you know this, you can be at peace with God because your faith is in Christ, because he has redeemed you, made you born again, applied the work of the cross to your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be at peace with God and not feel like it. A lot of times that comes from that uneasy conscience, right? It comes from knowing that you have offended God by breaking his law and you have not gone through the proper steps of repentance and confession and those sorts of things. You can feel that way. Sometimes you feel that way even when there is no reason for it. You just feel like it. You just feel uneasy, you say, is God really at peace with me? Am I really saved would be a way to put that. 
that concern, maybe I will come to the end and I will find out that whatever was going on in my heart, it was just not actually trusting in Jesus and I am not at peace with God and I don't know what to do and just this worry, maybe God is against me and not for me. Believer, sometimes even though you feel that way, God is still at peace with you. Do you know that? Even if you question and say, I don't know, I don't know the mind of God, well, God has said here, if you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God. You have it. Unbeliever, you don't have peace with God, no matter how you feel about that. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. James 4.4 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You may say to yourself, Well, God ought to be at peace with me. Kind of like how Hamas would say, Well, even though we are launching rockets into Israeli neighborhoods, Israel ought to be at peace with Palestine. If you are lobbing rockets at God's law and saying, everything is fine, I ought to be at peace with God, God ought to be at peace with me, when in fact your faith is not in Him, you need to come to faith in Jesus. You need to stop walking as an enemy of the cross. You need to embrace Christ as your Savior. You need to be at peace with God. You need to say, you might say to yourself, but I I try to live a good life. I try to be a good person. But you know what God would say? He would say that he reveals his wrath from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I'm not ungodly. I'm not unrighteous. Well, if you're doing good works and you're not doing them out of faith in Christ, then what you're doing is not for God. It's against God. You're working as a double agent for the enemy. You are not at peace with God. You are an undercover operative against him if your faith is not in Christ. And you might say, but we're all God's children. How, how could I be his enemy if we're all his children? Well, the Bible does not say we're all his children. Jesus says in John 42, 8.42, if God were your father, you would love me. Here's the mark of being a child of God. You love Christ. Come to faith in Christ, but believer. You see, I'm going to keep doing this. Unbeliever, you're not at peace with God. Come to peace with God. But believer, you are at peace with God. You have peace with God, no matter how you may feel about it. Sometimes Christians object to the idea that they're at peace with God. Maybe even more than non-Christians would object to the idea that they're not at peace with God. Maybe it's because of those subjective feelings. You know, I feel my sin. I feel far away from God right now. My heart is condemning me. The Bible says something about that. It says this to you, believer, in 1 John 3.20, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. You hear that? If your faith is in Christ and you feel your heart condemning you and telling you, but no, God must still be against me. The Bible says your heart is wrong. And and God is greater than your heart, and you don't know everything, but God does. If you are in the hand of Jesus, nothing is going to snatch you out of his hand. Not even your uneasy, wrong heart. He will keep you. He'll hold you fast. What's the source of that peace? How does it come to us? Well, it says this. Obviously, it's having been justified by faith, and and it's through this, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who secures peace. It says in Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. Jesus is the one who went to the cross. Jesus is the one who bore the punishment. Every bit of the sin that we have had against God in our past, in our present, in our future, believer, it was paid for at the cross. He himself is our peace. You think to yourself, but I I, I can't be at peace with God because I willfully sinned yesterday. 
don't willfully sin anymore, all right? But he's also told us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's just, he's right to do it because Jesus has already paid the price. He's already done it. It says in in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's peace with God. He has brought us who were his enemies to himself to make us right. It's in the person of Jesus, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But to those who are not in Christ today, I'm turning back to you again. Don't think to yourself, well, I just have peace with God. But here is the call to you. Come to Christ. Be at peace with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says this, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Yes, your sins have made a separation between you and God. Yes, you rightly deserve eternal punishment for your sin because it is against this holy God. But there's a call, and there's a free offer, and it says, come and be reconciled to God. How can we be reconciled to God? Well, it's because for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, be reconciled to God because Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that we could be right with God. Come to Christ have peace with God. And here's my advice for those of you who, who you're in Christ, you know that through our Lord Jesus we have peace with God, you, you have been justified by faith, your, your heart is condemning you today though. Here's my advice. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4.8 says that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know what happens so often in the Christian life? is you, you get that feeling like, well, I'm, things are just not right between me and God today. And so I'd better not talk to God. I'd better not open my Bible today because I already know what it's going to say. I know it's going to say that I've been doing things wrong. And I already know that, so I'm just going to leave it closed. Or our hearts would say, I better not come to church today because... Uh, things just don't feel right between me and God. I just don't feel like I'm the current kind of person who ought to be in there today. There's so many holy people in there, and, and I just don't feel like I'm one of them today. Oh, guys, that is our hearts condemning us when God is greater than our hearts. And that is, the, the, that is exactly what Satan loves to see happen in the life of a believer. To say, oh, I don't feel at peace with God, so I am going to go far from God. No, don't do that, guys. Don't do that, guys. This is the gospel at work every day in our lives. You know what we tell to people when when we're telling them, when we're evangelizing, when we're telling them, here's how you can come to faith in Jesus. We don't tell people, get good enough and then come to God. That's not the gospel. That's salvation by works. We tell people, come to God as you are. Bring to him all of your bags and your your pickup truck loads full of sin. Just bring them to Jesus and dump them at the cross and and come and find forgiveness. That's what we we need to tell people who, who need to come to faith in Christ. But it's what you need to know, believer, too. If you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord And there is absolutely no need to stay in this place that's far from God just because you feel like that's not true today. It's still true. Draw near to God. Bring to him every bit of your baggage and your sin, all of it, and dump it at the foot of the cross. Come close to him, and he will draw near to you because he has already purchased you with the blood of Jesus. You're his child, right? Those of you who have children, you know that you don't keep your children away from you just because they did something wrong that morning. You don't say, oh, nope, uh, you, you drew on the wall this morning. No snuggles till next week. I hope you don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. 
God knows what we've done, and he loves us anyway. And he has sent Jesus, his son, to die for our sins, and he gives us grace. And he gives us grace upon grace. That's what we get into in in verse 2, this life of peace with God. What we have worked out now that we stand in this grace The life of peace with God has to do with access into the grace that's already been obtained in the past, standing in grace in the present, and rejoicing in the hope of glory for the future. Look at this in verse 2. Look at what's already happened in the past for us whose faith is in Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Mm. He says, we have obtained it. So I want to think about this in terms of how does this peace with God apply to your your past and your present and your future? In the past, we have already been granted access to God and access to grace. That's what it says. We have obtained access by faith. Now, what does that access mean? Well, it's, it's a word that you might use when you're talking about getting to somebody important. Now, I'll talk about somebody else first, which is myself. Sometimes there are people who come to the church office, and they, they may want to come, they may want to talk to the pastor, and it, it, it is possible, though, that when they get here that I might be already meeting with somebody, or I might be on a phone call, or I might be away from the office somewhere that I've, I've gone to a meeting or a, a visit or something like that. And I'll say this, if it's hard to get access to me, sometimes, think about people who are actually important. Think about if, if you just walk up to the office of a Fortune 500 company, can you just say, I'd like to see the CEO, please? It doesn't really work that way. You, you would have, if you were going to have a meeting with the CEO, first of all, for the average person, it would be very unlikely that you'd get one at all. And if you did, it would probably be scheduled several months out. Or what if you walk up to the White House? You know what happens to people who just try to walk straight into the White House to see the president? They get tackled and they go to jail. You just, you don't do that. What about God? What about the God of heaven? Now, there are many, many people who do not have access to God who presume that they ought to. There are many people who are lost in their sins who just assume that even though they are at enmity with God, walking as enemies of the cross, that they ought to be able to just walk right up to God and to speak to him. Again, the Bible says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Coming into the presence of God is a big deal. It's so big a deal that when Moses saw just a sliver of the back of God's glory, that he had to be hidden inside these giant rocks just to stand there. It's so big of a deal that when Peter realized the divinity of Jesus upon one of Jesus' miracles in a fishing boat, that Peter fell down as though he were dead and said, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, saying, I cannot be in your presence with my sin. Access to God is a much bigger deal than access to the pastor or access to a CEO, or access to the president, or access to any human being that you could ever think of. But do you know what you have when you have come to faith in Jesus Christ? You have access to God in peace. You have been brought into his family. You have access to him. You have access to his grace at all times. We are given free access through our great high priest, Jesus Christ, and we're given access and grace. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It says in Hebrews 10.19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And he says, we come with confidence. The same, same book of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. We have access to God in grace, and we stand in that grace, and we stand in that access in the present. Because of what's already happened in the past, we've been let in. We have been brought in, and now we stand there. He says, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We, we, have, we are standing today. You're standing on the same thing that brought you in, right? Now, sometimes there's a disconnect, right? If you come into the front door of the church, you may pass over the threshold into the door. If you're coming in through that door over there, then you're, you're going to walk on this mat, you know, one of those things that you can wipe your feet on as you come in. And, and, uh, and then you think, well, I've, I've walked past that, and now I'm going to stand on something different. When we come to Christ, the thing that you walk in on is the same thing that you stand on the whole time, all the way into eternity. You have come in by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you are standing there in access and in the family of God the same way, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 1, I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, that's past, and in which you stand, that's present. I just want to tell you this. Never think that you move on from the gospel. Okay? You do not move on from the gospel. When you have come to God, you have come to him by the good news of Jesus Christ. And there is a tendency, and you see this played out in various ways in various parts of Christianity, there can be a tendency to say, well, we got that gospel thing worked out already. Now let's move on to something more. Now, now let's move on to right living. Now let's move on to a proper understanding of these things. Well, yeah, you've got to do right living. You've got to properly understand things. But if you move past the gospel, you're no longer standing on the foundation. We don't move past the gospel. We stand on the gospel. We grow in the gospel. We rejoice in the gospel. We're grounded in the gospel. And we have obtained access in, by faith into this grace in which we stand. You've got to keep standing on grace, and when you've been brought in, you do keep standing on grace. You've been brought out of the realm of the law and into the realm of grace. Now, that doesn't mean there's no more rules. We'll, we'll get to that in chapter 6. He's going to explain that very clearly, but it does mean this. You are no longer in the position of simply having God's law condemn you. You are now in the position of having God's grace uphold you. We're no longer law under law. We're under grace. Romans 6.14 is going to say this. Sin will have no dominion over this, over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Later in this same chapter, Romans 5, verse 20, he's going to say the law came in to increase the trespass, but where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Believer, when you've been brought in, you stand on grace and it abounds. As it says about Jesus in John 1.16, that he came to bring us grace upon grace. You received grace when you first believed, but you don't step past it. You stand on it. You keep on staying there, knowing we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting grace. We're getting more grace. Even if we sin, we stand on grace in Jesus Christ, even as we mourn over our sin, even as we repent of our sin, we don't say, my sin has now thrown me out. No. Grace upon grace. You have peace with God. So we have it in the past, we have it in the present, and we have it in the future. He says, this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope is a future word. Hope is a word, as I've told you a number of times before, and Probably three of you remember. Hope is a word that's different in the Bible than it is in the world. The world says, I hope that things will get better for me. Which kind of means things probably won't get better, but maybe, 
I'll try to have a positive attitude because maybe hope in the Bible is not a maybe. Hope in the Bible is not a probably not, but I'll hold on to that shred of optimism. Hope in the Bible is God has said it and it will come true. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the Christian hope. Christ has said that he will return again. Christ has said that he will have a day of resurrection. Christ has told us that we are to encourage one another with these words about his return and about meeting him together in the air and always being with the Lord. Christ has given us these, this good news that is true. It is certain that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that those of us who are in Christ are going to be there forever. He will wipe away every tear. We will behold him as he is. We'll be like him because we, we behold him. Here's the hope that we're going to have. It's the hope of glory. You hear that? We rejoice in the hope of glory. When you've come to faith in Jesus, you can have joy. No matter what's happening. No matter what's happening because we have the hope of glory. The hope of the glory of God. Do you remember Romans 3.23? It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's going to be completely reversed. Believer, I know you still sin. I still sin. Whether it's deed, word, thought. We don't like to sin. We're not at peace with our sin, but we still sin. One day you won't. Believer, right now, even as a redeemed creature in Christ, you still fall short of the glory of God. But one day, you will be glorified together with Christ. You can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's what he says in Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, that's called means when you came to faith in Jesus. That was an effectual call. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You hear that? This is not a maybe. This is a done deal. Yeah, you haven't seen it yet. You, you, you have not experienced yet the fullness of what that means. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. But that is a certain hope in Christ. And you can rejoice in that. It's coming in your future, believer. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Guys, even your body is going to be fixed. Most of our bodies will probably be in the grave at that point. Rotten. He's going to fix it. He's going to raise you from the dead. He's going to put your soul and your body back together. You will be a full human you will not hurt. You will not die. You will be in glory with Christ, believer. He will transform our lowly bodies even. But guys, our glorification, the glorification of our bodies, our being brought into conformity with the glory of God, it's not an end in itself. It is because of God's glory. Our ultimate hope is not things are going to be better for me. I'm going to be in a different state. Our ultimate hope is this that we would behold the glory of God. It says in 1 John 3, 20, excuse me, 3, 2, uh, when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. You hear that? Why are we going to be transformed? It's because we're going to behold the glory of Christ face to face. Do you know why you will be completely free and completely sinless at the same time? It's because when you're beholding the glory of Christ face to face, you will never have a desire to sin ever again. You, you will see who he is in perfection. And you'll be glorified because you behold his glory. He's the goal. You're not the goal. He is the goal. But boy, what he does for us. It's amazing. Our ultimate joy is not in our own glorification. It's in God's glory. That's why Jesus prayed on the night before he went to the cross. He prayed this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to do what? Does he say that they may be with me where I am to enjoy how big their mansion is? 
to enjoy doing donuts on the streets of gold in their heavenly Lamborghinis? No, he says, they will be with me to see my glory. That's the big point. We would behold God in his glory. That's the joy. That's the joy. That's why we do what it says in Titus 2. We wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can rejoice because of that. We can know because of that that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glories that are to be revealed to us. So, believer, here's what we have. Believer, you have peace with God. You have peace with God. You have in the past already obtained access to God by faith in Jesus Christ. In the present, you're standing on his grace, and in the future, your hope is secure. You have peace with God. Unbeliever, your sin has made a separation between you and God. You're living as an enemy of the cross, but God said this, love your enemies. God does that. And he has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He offers you grace. He offers that that death would be for you. Come to Jesus and have peace with God and stand in him and live not, don't live as though you have to earn your peace with God. Live in gratitude for what God has already done in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have sent Christ, who is our peace. I thank you for his death on the cross, for, um, for my sins, for the sins of all who you had predestined from before the foundation of the world. God, there are so many this day who haven't yet come to faith in Christ, and yet Jesus' blood was shed for them. I pray that you would do the effectual work of calling them to faith in Jesus Bring them into your kingdom. Cause them to stand on your grace. God, I thank you for us who are in Christ, that we have peace with you. I pray that when our hearts condemn us, that you would show us that you're greater than our hearts. Grant us to draw near to you and that you would draw near to us. God, I pray that you would uphold us, help us to walk by grace, help us to walk in joy and the hope of glory. All of this just because of what Christ has done for us and making peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.